Please be aware that for this Sunday, we start with the children's message, followed by the readings and the sermon. The sound team wishes you good reception and blessed days. All right, my name's Ralph. Could all the children come to the front, please? Come here. Thank you, there's Aaron. Cool. Hey, guys. Okay, take your time, there's no rush. Come sit down. Let's just get ready. Okay. So, lots of people today, it's great. All right. So, it's Sunday morning, you just woke up probably, maybe a few hours ago. Are you feeling awake or are you feeling tired? Who's feeling awake? Put your hand up if you're feeling awake. Some of you. Victoria's awake, that's super. Aaron, you're not so sure. Okay, I'm not so sure either, I'll be very honest. Cool. Okay, so, there's one word I want to start with. The word adventure okay when I say the word adventure what do you guys think of someone says let's let's go on adventure together any ideas what do you think of no ideas you have an idea what do you reckon Aaron, what do you think? If I say adventure to you... Okay. Well, the boys are making up their mind. Let's go to the girls. So, let's make it a bit easier. What about if I say the word race? Boys, calm down a bit. If I say the word race, what do you think of? Yes? Horse riding. That's a very good idea. Okay. Both of you said horse riding. Super idea. Any more ideas? Yes? Running. Okay, so we've got horse riding, we've got running. Cool. Okay, let's expand slightly. Who of you knows Indiana Jones? Yeah, here we go. Okay, now we're awake. This is great. Okay, tell me about Indiana Jones. What does he do? What do you know about Indiana Jones? He's a treasure hunter. Right on the money. Good. Okay, what do you know about Indiana Jones? Bingo, yes. So Indiana Jones is an archaeologist, and he goes around, and he looks for treasure. So we've got treasure, and we've got some kind of racing around for treasure. Now, in the Bible, Paul talks about the race that we're in, and we're also racing for some kind of treasure. But what's the treasure that we're racing for? Yes, Victoria? To be with God in heaven. To be with God in heaven. It's a very nice answer. So we're looking for the kingdom of God. That's our treasure and to remain in that treasure. Okay, cool. Now, today, later on, we're going to hear about the book of Malachi, which is which book in the Old Testament? Does anyone know where that book comes? Is it the first book? Is it the last book? Any guesses? Genesis? It's kind of the opposite of Genesis, if you will. It's also, it's also quite a long way from Exodus. Sorry? Deuteronomy. You're getting clo- Leviticus, Deuteronomy. We're getting closer. This is, sorry? No, okay. All right, I'll, I'll tell you guys. So Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, okay? And just like Indiana Jones, just like you in your running race, and just like you, Victoria, when you were horse riding, the Israelites are kind of on a race. They're on this race in their life to come and find God. But during this race, they've kind of forgotten about God. They've forgotten that he loves them. 
So let me ask you a question. If someone loves you, or if God loves us, if you're in a race, then how might God love you? What's one way God could love you? Yes? Taking care of us and safe. Ah, you say safety. Very good. Yes? He helps us. Okay. Okay. So to illustrate this better, we're going to do some theatre together. So, boys, Aaron, everybody else, listen up. Who wants to be a bad guy in this game? We're going to play a game. We're going to be good guys and bad guys. Bad guy? Super. Okay. Could all the bad guys come over here? Yeah. Good. Super. Okay, all the good people, all the good guys come over here. Right. So, to better illustrate what was said by the children, we're going to talk about safety and God loving you and protecting you. Now, in Ephesians, the New Testament, we hear about the armor of God. Okay? So, let's hope the microphone works good. Okay. So, we hear about the breastplate of righteousness. I'll just equip myself with it. And we also hear about the helmet of salvation. Okay? So all the good guys and me, oh, here we go, the microphone's playing up. We've been on this race, and we're actually quite tired. Okay? So let's all of us go to sleep. We're just going to rest. Okay, everyone's resting. I'll rest as well. And while I'm resting... I want you boys, one by one, to come up. And as I rest, I want you to tap me here, or here, or here. Okay? One by one, and we'll see what happens. Okay? So I'll just put this on. As hard as you want. All right. Come on, Aaron. Come on, you come on. You go first. I'll just sleep. If you can hit this, I trust you. Okay, so morning comes. How are you guys feeling? Good. I'm feeling great as well. Now, the problem is with the Israelites... Despite all of these things happening, they quickly forget. Because, you know, when you wear this for a long time, you forget that you're even wearing it. And so when in Malachi the time comes for them to praise God, they don't really praise God at all. Instead, their praise might sound a bit like this. So I'm going to read a bit of Psalm 91, which is all about protection. Okay? Now, let me just check something. Yep, okay. So their, their prayer, I'll stand for this, their praise, when they're praising God for what he did do, he protected them, goes a bit like this. <clears throat> Psalm 91. He who dwells <clears throat> in the shelter of the most, sorry, most shelter of the most high rests in the shadow of the mighty. I say the Lord, he is refuge, I suppose he's my fortress. God in whom we trust, apparently. Hang on. Yeah. Hi, Mum. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, good. How are you? Great. Yeah, okay, I'll see you later. Yeah, cool. All right, thanks for the call. Bye. Okay. okay. All right. 
well, and that here. So, if God really helped us in that way, and he really protected us like he did, would that be a good way to say thank you to him by just half-heartedly standing there and not really reading at all? No. No. Very, Victoria has a very clear answer here, everyone. She says no. That's very good. That's true. So a better way to do that might be to give back to God in the way he gave to you. All right. Come to stand over by the boys briefly. Okay. So let's try and read this with some conviction. You can read along with me, okay? So Psalm 91. I'll read it out loud. You can read along in your minds. Okay, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Okay. So how did that sound for you guys over there? Was that better? Did that sound a bit better? A bit? Yeah? Okay. So, as we'll hear in the sermon, as you'll discover in your activities and in Sunday school, when we forget God, we also aren't very good at really praising him. Okay? So, ultimately, in Malachi, we're asked to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So, remember those things. Remember the themes. Remember this big adventure. Remember the protection that God gives you. And then be honest with him and give back to him in a way that's he would like you to. Good. All right. So, children six and older, if you're older than six or six, put your hand up. Today's first scripture reading comes from Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, and can be found on page 960 of the Church Bibles. A prophecy the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, Though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. 
Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Then the second scripture reading is from Malachi 3, 13 to 18, and can be found on page 962 of the Church Bibles. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession, and I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. This is the word of the Lord. So many greetings to each one of you who have been able to join us today here. Thank you for making that effort. And also many greetings to those who are joining us online via Zoom. We appreciate your efforts as well. And of course, uh, really would encourage you as your opportunities and things change to join us in person, thinking particularly as we move through the last days of February and into March. Wasn't it beautiful to see that snow falling this morning? And walking to the train and how that wind reminded me of Wisconsin. 
And I was so thankful I was in Switzerland. So uh, it's, it only is as difficult as what one compares it with. But I'm very thankful for that. And I, as I was beginning to say, I would encourage each of us as we begin and move towards Easter to look at the calendar, the church calendar, and see there are many very significant moments that I think you would uh, enjoy being a part of. So please put it into your schedule, and if all possible, join us at that time. Um, the, today, I want to finish this sermon series that has been entitled Foundations. And you remember there are three basic concepts within this foundation series. We are looking at people out of the Old Testament. And why we are looking at them and seeing three different things about them. One is the way that God has revealed himself to them. And then secondly, not only the way God reveals himself to them, but then how God works in and through them in their situation. What that does as a foundation, it actually prepares our own minds, our own thinking, and to some degree our own understanding as much as one can understand God, but it builds a concept of God that reflects God as he reveals himself to his people through the Old Testament. And then thirdly, not just how God has revealed himself and how God works, that way we begin to understand God and how God works. Therefore, our faith grows, but our expectations in God also grow. But then thirdly, also we've been looking at how these individuals are either used as examples or illustrations or sometimes as very spiritual principles in the New Testament. Uh, for example, one which is so very easy to reflect upon is Abraham, where it says, and he believed God, and God counted it or reckoned it or credited it to him, imputed it to him as righteousness. And as Paul in the book of Romans describes for us how faith works, what God does, how God sees our heart, he quotes this verse and uses it as a very spiritual principle how when God sees in our hearts that we believe him, he credits that to us as righteousness. And so they are a study of very foundational truths. And often in the New Testament, it will not go back and look at the whole account. It expects that we know all about them, that we have been reading the Old Testament, and we've thought about these individuals as well as the many others who are recorded in the Old Testament and what God teaches us about himself through them. Now today, it's, as was told us in the children's message, the book of Malachi, or Malachi, the last one to speak um, in the Old Testament. Now, there are a number of things and if you've been going to church a long time, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I could probably ask, is Malachi a favorite book? 
And I'm guessing that there might be one hand, and that's probably my wife just trying to make me feel good. (laughs) Because, you see, some ways Malachi has been a bit misused by pastors over the years. There is this chapter where he talks about bringing the whole tithe into the offering. And that has been probably used and misused in many ways, and we may move there. But as one looks at the book of Malachi, it is quoted chapters, it's only four chapters long, very short, last minor prophet, and each, (coughs) excuse me, each chapter is filled with a variety of things But the New Testament pulls out particularly chapter 3 and chapter 4 where the prophet, as God speaks through him, promises that there is going to become a messenger and one who will make straight the path of the one who is coming. There you find in chapter 3, verse 1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And Jesus takes those words. Matthew records it. It's in Mark, it's also in Luke. And he says, this is exactly what you see as they question him about John the Baptist. Just as Malachi has written, now you have experienced it. And then as he goes on further, and there's another part in Matthew chapter 4 where God promises, I will send Elijah to you before the day of the Lord. And then as Jesus continues to explain about John the Baptist, he then says, and if you want to consider it like this, this John is that Elijah. And so the New Testament takes exactly what Malachi and God has spoken through him, and it brings it immediately into the New Testament. Now, Malachi is like no other book in the Old Testament. It is an ongoing dialogue between God and his people. And it's at the point, it must be as one looks at this, at a point where they are not doing very well spiritually. Because what is going to happen right through the book of Malachi is God is going to make a statement. Like the first statement he's going to say is, I have loved you. And immediately the people come back. It's not a sense of rhetorical question, but in one way it is. They say, how have you loved us? You get the impression they were not convinced. And they had no hesitancy to come back at God. And then God explains that. And as you go through, God will say, and you have said, let me just read some of those to you. You have said, how have you loved us? Then in the next verse, verse 6 of the first chapter, how have we shown contempt for your name? In verse 7, the following one, how have we defiled you? You get the idea? The people are not agreeing with God. And they are serving God, but they're not on the same page as God. And then they say something like, what a burden is this? Wow. Why do I do this? Can you just feel what they're saying? And then when God says, you know, he's not 
accepting their sacrifices, they say, why? Why does he not do this in chapter 2, verse 14? And then God says, you have made me weary. And they come back and say, how have we wearied you? And then he says, if you return to me in chapter 3, I will return to you. What a promise. And instead of saying, here we come, they say in verse 7, how are we to return? In other words, they don't really think they've gone away. And then it goes on, and God says to them, and wonder, stop robbing me. And immediately they say, me? Rob God? Listen to what they say. How are we robbing you? And then eventually, the last one, they repeat, how have we said anything against you? It's an amazing book. Because in the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God, he speaks to his people, and his people come right back at him. And yet he speaks and explains to them. What an amazing concept. But as I just read, the first verse, as was read to us, the prophecy of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And remember, the context of this is, this is the last prophetic word in the Old Testament. And from this end of Malachi until the coming of the next prophet who is going to be that one, John the Baptist, where he's going to cry out, repent. And then he's going to at one point say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From Malachi to John is 400 years. 400 years of silence in this way of God speaking. And so think of it that way. If it is going to be a 400 years of silence with God not speaking through a prophet, when what in the world is God going to say at that last moment? And listen to what he says. I have loved you. And the people say, how have you loved us? And then he gives, of course, this example of, did not I love Jacob? And I love less or I hated, depending on your translation, his brother. And in that, you look at that and say, well, what kind of an answer is that? Well, think about Jacob. You see, all of these people would have been direct descendants of him. And think about Jacob as he is born, and it's really a beautiful account. If you have nothing to do and you're not going to go outside this afternoon, it's going to be too cold. Coffee and the Bible, great opportunity to reread that story. And there are twins. And read about the birth is very interesting. But there is this sovereignty of God where God has said, and the older will serve the younger. And that happens. But then there is this bit where Jacob, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, the younger comes. And remember the account where he then trades the older brother his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And then there, you see, God has foreordained in one sense the older will serve the younger. But then in the providence of God, this younger takes off and flees his family. He goes and he falls madly in love with this girl, Rebecca. And then 
uh, Leah, who he gets as the first wife, that is worth the read this afternoon, if nothing else is. And as I said, we had three daughters and one son, and we always insisted any future son-in-law must come and ask permission. And I would always promise my girls I would go through that portion of Scripture where this man worked these number of years, and then the father said, wait, and he worked these numbers of years, and then came back. And when the first potential son-in-law came for our eldest daughter to ask permission, the only question our youngest daughter asked me afterwards is, Dad, did you tell him about that count in Genesis? Read it. You'll love it. In the providence of God, he marries, has this family, and as he shepherds the sheep and goats of his father-in-law, his father-in-law says, well, why don't you take the speckled ones and I'll take the plain ones, or one color. And all of a sudden, the whole population becomes speckled. And then the father-in-law, you see, it's the providence of God. And then all of a sudden, the father-in-law says, well, son-in-law, why don't you take the one-colored ones and I'll take the speckled ones. And the next years, they're all solid ones that are born. But there comes a day when God asks him to come back and he must return to his family. Remember, I have loved you like I've loved Jacob. And during this journey back, he sends his wives, he sends his children, he sends all of his herds to meet the brother from whom he has taken all of this. And he stays that last night alone. And during the night, it says that God wrestles with him. God in his sovereignty has chosen. God in his providence has blessed and led. Now God in his personal involvement enters Jacob's life. And it says he wrestles with him all night. And when I read that, I often thought about how when our son was two years old, he and I would wrestle and he would throw me on the ground and I would wrestle down and he would be on top of me and we would wrestle and then suddenly dad would give up and he, the boy had won. And he would raise his hands in the air and cheer himself. Yeah, I have defeated dad. That's kind of like Jacob wrestling God. Oh, by the way, before we go, that, go out of that, have you ever wrestled God? Have you ever experienced the individual personalness of God not stopping, but wrestling just like with Jacob till he came to that moment where Jacob could no longer win, and finally God says to him, What is your name? In other words, the man had to identify with who he really was. My name is Jacob. The translation of Jacob is an old English surplanter or deceiver. He had to own who he was and what he had done. And when he did that, you see the God who was involved personally in his life was not there simply to condemn him. He was to get him to the place in life where he owned and confessed and accepted the responsibility of who he was. Yes. And when he did that, then God said, and now from this point on, you will be called Israel. He's changed. And he walks away from that event with a limp. 
You see, God has said, I have loved you like I have loved him. And I just ask each one of us today as we think about this, is there in God's sovereignty where he has loved us? We're here today. In his providential working, in his providence, is there the ways that God has loved each one of us? But there comes that moment when this individual participation in our life, God coming, and it's very real. You see, often when we think about God loving us, we really come to the other side and we think about us loving God. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. And boy, I don't know about you, but I don't get that right all the time. Or you think about the word in the book of Revelation to the church at Ephesus, you have left your first love. Get back to it. But let me just read to you in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. You'll remember it when we studied 1 John together. It gives a definition of love. Listen to what 1 John, see John writes under God's inspiration what he says. This is love. He's going to define love for us. He's going to identify what it's all about. He says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What so often happens in this relationship with God and what causes us to kind of grow to, oh, I don't really care. Oh, I don't know if he really does love me. I, is that we start looking at ourselves and we no longer remember that God has loved us. Before, and if we capture this, I can still clear, clearly remember, and I am an old man, but I can remember in my mid-teens the first time in my life when I heard the voice of God in the depth of my heart. And he convicted me of my sin, and I repented. And I remember that moment when the Spirit of God came into me shouting, Abba, Father, and my spirit responded, Abba, Father! You see, it isn't that I was good and I could love him, but every moment I recall that he loved me, then all of this seems to come in order. And I would just say today, I think this in, 19, in 2023 is probably the greatest question we face. Do we understand that God loves us? Now, in that, now we've done verses 1 and 2. And we have, uh, yes, even, by, even with a lot of grace, I have seven minutes to finish the other four chapters. Um, let me just give you an overview. But let, because the very next thing he does, he, he talks about love. And I must say again, if we don't get this right, if we don't understand that God has loved us, we will struggle again and again and again with trying to love God. But when we understand that he has loved us, that is a natural response of the heart. But then he goes on and he talks, as, as you, and he writes here, he says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where are the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect that is due to me? In that next section, running from that verse 6 in the first chapter through verse 9 in the second chapter, 
God identifies himself as these two entities. He says, I am a father. I'm a father. And I am a master. And to serve God, we must understand that God is both. He is our master in a sense. That means there is a servant relationship with him. He is our father. That means there is an adopted child relationship with him. And we hold those both together. And then what he points out to them, and they come up and say, well, why? What's this all about? You see, in that section, you'll find throughout there, that section as well as through Malachi, God introduces himself, as it's translated here, as Lord Almighty. Lord in caps, which we've studied many times, meaning the word Jehovah or Yahweh or a personal God. That's Father. And this other one, though, it says here, Almighty, which is a good translation, and many of your older translations will translate that Lord, capital, of host, which means the master over the soldiers or the servants. He is introducing himself as I am both. And in that, as you read through that section, what you'll find again and again is the struggle is they are bringing offerings. They are bringing offerings that are blind, offerings that are lame, offerings that are not right. And what they're saying is, why does it make any difference? In 2023, that would be like, I don't know, should I go to church or not? It doesn't really make any difference. Oh, well, I could read the Bible, but it really doesn't make any difference. I could live godly. I could confess, but it doesn't really make any difference, does it? That is literally what it would look like today. You see, those worship sacrifices, it isn't just the fact that God wanted all the best, which he did describe, but you see, there were all kinds of sacrifices. There's a burnt sacrifice when your heart just wants to give it all to God. There's a peace sacrifice when you are celebrating the fact that God has done something significant. All worship. There's this, these things. And so what he's saying is, is look, you tell the world, because if you go through, he says, and my name should be proclaimed among the nations. And because you worship in this manner, it's manner, it is not. In other words, if we can pull out of that, the way we worship communicates to our friends, to our colleagues, to our family, to the world in which we live, the nations, who God is. I don't know how often. I was just talking with some very dear missionary friends who are our age or started missions even before us. And we were reflecting together how often our kids may not have understood exactly why and what we were doing, but how the people they met left an undying impression in their lives. Because these people were serving God, and they would listen to their stories. I remember our children coming down when we lived in a communal hospitality center, they would come and they'd sit in a corner and ears would kind of perk forward and eyes would bulge 
And now I hear my, hear my son almost every once a month in his sermon, he will say, and then I heard this person talk about God doing this. And I heard this person talking about God doing this. You see, what it's God is saying, the way we worship him, the way we express what we think of him communicates God in such a powerful manner. It's unbelievable. And in verse 10 there, he says, oh, that one of you, would shut the temple doors. In other words, he's saying to the priests, those who should serve him, he says, look, stop, get it right. And the rest of the book, I'll just leave, but let me just say this. These two factors, God loves us. Do you understand today that God loves you? It is the thing that will change our world. Not just that we can quote John 3.16, but that we know it. And the only way we know that depth of God's love is we must personally experience that moment when the individual in participation of God in our lives. And then the other, how do we worship? Would you just take a moment when you go home, write yourself a list, could you just say, I worship God when I do, and just make the list. And then as God has instructed the people here, then you just look at that and say, when my children, when my grandkids, and if you do not have family, when my friends, when my colleagues, when my other people who know me look at the way I worship God, how important it is to me, what I do with it, how it's there, do they understand that this God I serve is my God Father and he is my master? The one I can serve and the one. But at the end, he says to them, and those who hear and understood, and they talked together, he said, and the Lord wrote a record of it and told them how he would bless them. And then the book closes just by saying, and when you do this, you will once again understand the difference, he says, between the righteousness, the righteous man and the evil man. You will once again understand the difference between serving God and not serving God. If we're at a point in our spiritual life, we're like the group to whom this book was written were, where we just really don't think it makes a difference, we're not certain it's really worth it. We need to once again revisit. I have loved you. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day and for your grace and mercy to us. And Lord, in just a moment, we're going to go to a time of communion where it's not just written in your Bible, but we do understand that you, Lord Jesus, instituted this as a memory, as a way that we could recall that you truly have loved us. And so, God, we worship you, we thank you today, and we praise you. We pray now in Jesus' name that you guide and lead us. And I want to pray for each one of us here. May we be aware of your presence. May we also be aware of the fact that real truth that you have loved us. Because, Lord, sometimes at the very best, life is busy. And we can get to the place that we're so going and doing 
that we can even begin to question, does it make any difference? Should I or should I not? And help us at that moment to remember that your words are, I have loved you. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to spend time just remembering the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection through this that he has given us to remember him by. Of course, in his day, it was his celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. But as it's recorded, it says that the towards the end of that meal, it says he took the bread and he broke it. And then he gave the bread to the disciples to eat, saying, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The idea of it being broken and his body being given, as even it was recorded for us today from 1 John, how God the Father sent the Son to be a substitutionary sacrifice for you and me. And then it goes on from there, and it says at the end of the service, or the end of their dinner together, the celebration of the Passover, he said he took the cup and he poured it out, and then he gave it to them, each one to drink, and he says, this cup is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Where I will be your God and you will be my people, I will write my laws on your mind and in your heart. And then he goes on at the end to say, and I will remember your sin no more. So as we come today to partake of this, Remember as even Malachi needed to remind the people that we need to go back to that essence and expression of God has loved us, particularly at those moments when we really wonder, am I just doing this because I do it? Or is there really something significant here? And that's what I would say then as Paul writes in Hebrew, or excuse me, Second, or 1 Corinthians 11, he then speaks about that. He says, now, he encourages us to partake, but he says, before you do, take a moment to examine your heart. And then after we've examined, and that would mean very simply, as far as I understand, we take a moment to allow God's Spirit to search us. And is there anything that stands between us and God? And after reading these verses from Malachi, of course, we need to think, is there any moment when actually in the last weeks, the last months, or even this day, we've said, I don't know if it's really making a difference. Then could you just pause for a moment and open the inside of your heart and life to God and say, God, I believe in your sovereignty, you love us. I believe in your providence, you love me. But I need that individual involvement in my life, loving me and allow him to come and to cleanse and to prepare us to partake of this. So I'm going to pray, and the way we would do this, there will be servers here and here. Come and take the bread and eat it, and take the cup and drink of that. And then as you come on the outside and go back through the middle, 
and then a group will come to serve you who are in the um, above, in the second floor, first floor. And um, let's pray, and then we will start. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to come and ask you to lead and to guide as we celebrate this communion that you have left to remind us again and again of that amazing love that the Father has loved us and has worked in our hearts and lives. So, Father, we come and we say in the name of Jesus, may your name be praised and worshiped. I pray for each one who's here, that as we partake of this, as we participate in that which you offer to us, may we also experience the reality of you. Lead us, guide us, direct us in Jesus' name. Amen.